Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Build Shop Podcast. I am one half of the hosting crew, Ryan Brath, and I'd like to welcome my co-host to the show as always. Mike, how are you doing today? RB, I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We actually got a little bit of sunlight this evening. You know, it's we got a lot of rain. The grass is looking really lush. Finally got cut for the first time this year. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, you know, golf courses continue to dry out and we'll be out there uh, very soon, you know. Soon, you know, a little bit more golf than we've been playing so far. How many times have you been out? I've been out twice. I didn't play at all last weekend. Uh, we've had way too much rain. Uh, tonight, today was nice. Actually, uh, had got a chance to open the sunroof, uh, put some sunglasses on, which is nice. And, uh, tomorrow afternoon, fingers crossed, I can, uh, I can sneak out midday and play some golf. Nice. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. I know I got, uh, mm-hmm. as someone who has, and this is, you know, for those who are listening today, uh, you know, we're doing another mailbag, which is going to be a lot of fun. And this is part of one of the questions, but I won't, get, I won't completely get to it yet, but, uh, I actually have like a round booked next like Thursday afternoon as well. So nice. it's not the most normal thing to book that far in advance. I usually play very, very early or late, late in the evening, but uh, this is kind of unusual, but it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, had a golf course that I'm very excited to play, which uh, I won't necessarily touch on right now. But again, uh, tonight is a mailbag. So we put it out on Instagram. We had people just, you know, ask anything you wanted to. We've got some golf questions. we got some non-golf questions. I might just have a random question for you, Mike, either way, one way or the other. And, uh, you know, I think we're just going to have some fun. So if you haven't listened to the first one, check it out in last week's episode. And we're going to try not to repeat any questions, but there might be a couple that might overlap a little bit. And to kick off the show, I have to ask you, Mike, I know you're you're a big fan. Uh, What is your favorite Scotty Cameron putter of all time? Have it be a model or a very specific year? model is there one that jumps out to you where it's like if you saw it it was for sale you'd have to buy it yeah that would be a uh, a telly uh scotty cameron trillium um i'm trying to think when did those come out 90 93 originally or no i guess early 90s yeah yeah i think it was 92 yeah not, i'm pretty sure it was 1992 or 93 um but yeah the the tellies are I've got a couple new ports. I've got a couple Santa Fe's. I've got a new port that is brand new in the plastic. Um, never been, uh, never been touched. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's the best, the best. It's that tr- traditional Newport style. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's so nice. If I, if I saw one for sale right now, I would definitely, I'm definitely snagging it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You know, I think, I do have one of the new Scotty Cameron selects. And the reason I have that is because it reminds me the most of, of all the, the, the Newport two shapes that they've done over the last say decade. It is the closest to me that resembles the original oil can Newport two, which is one that I, mm. I had for a very long time. At one point I actually had three or four of them because they weren't, you could buy them rusted in like, I would say the mid two thousands and you can get them for like hundred to 150 bucks because a lot of people didn't want that rusted finish. They would send them away and get the pro platinum or some other finish put on them. But for me, that was the that was a putter that I had for a long time, and that's why I have the select now because of that original shape, little thinner top line. I think there, there's something really cool about those old shapes. But people to incorporate it into a putter that has the the modern day heavier weight, to me that is uh, that would be my go to as well. Do you got one for me already, Mike, off the top, or am I going to ask you another one lined up here? Uh, I'm going to go. So I'm going to track my information. They had a trillium two. And that Here was in the year 2001. I remember I had a mill spec. Um, that was a 2001 as well. Um, I'm hold on. Uh, so I have a, I've got a 99 terillium and I've got a 98 terillium. Ooh. Different years. Do you have, um, is it the but, soul stamp or the face stamp one? I know there's, like I've got difference. the, I've got the face stamp ones. I'm pretty sure 97 was a soul stamp um but either way they're world class i potentially have an update i, I might see my actual putter end of this month fingers crossed oh very exciting that's very very exciting i know that um you know to to speak of ah uh, yeah screw it i'm gonna go down i'm gonna go down the line i'm gonna i'm gonna bust this open either way um so for those who Speaking of Terillium, you know, this is like off, off like the, the whole kabang here. 
But a lot of people are aware that Bettinardi did a lot of the original Scotty Cameron putters, right? Mm -hmm. That is not, that is something you can find on the internet. This is not breaking news, but there, there was the, the Terillium putters with the, with no elastomer around the outside of the face. I believe those were Bettinardi and then the other ones were not. So that's one way to tell. And then there was like the face and the soul stamp. And that was like a year thing, but uh, that's not completely breaking news. Uh, you can find it. It is readily available on the internet. All you gotta do is kind of search it up and you'll find it, um, you know, in the, in the deep corners of the golf world. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like one of those little fun little tidbits and now that's a cool putter. I, w- I didn't even, wasn't even really thinking about that putter today, but th- that's a good one. I like that. Mike, um, you got a question for me or should I fire yeah. off one for you? Rich, uh, Rich was asking dream PGA DP world tour, LPGA or PGA champions tour podcast guest. Who would you have? Uh, oh, that's a good one. Uh, someone who I'd love to talk to and, you know, she made a lot of headway or a lot of uh, news and, you know, made it to outside of the golf world, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, this past week, I would, I would love the chance to talk to Lydia Ko. Yeah. She, she has been one of my favorite players for such a long time. I, I think for me, like I've heard a lot of interviews from a lot of players on the, on the PGA tour and, the, the champions tour kind of thing. I, you know, for me, from an interview perspective, I don't, I don't find that you get a ton from those, those, those golfers. I, I feel like it's kind of one of those things where they've had not so they've had so much media training, but they're just so used to like kind of delivering answers. It's almost like one of those things where, you know, they, they say, you just want to have a, you'd love to have a beer with them and just like turn a microphone off kind of thing. Cause I think there would be a very big difference with that. But I feel like a lot of the LPGA tour players are quite candid. And for me, Lydia Ko would be uh, very high on the top of my list. And another one, uh, one of my favorite golfers of all time, which I think uh, kind of flies under the radar because her career was was uh, very bright, but relatively short. She just decided to retire, was Lorena Ochoa. Mm. That that woman could golf a freaking golf ball. Um, and she was one of my, one of my favorites to watch. And I know like the people at Ping said she had like this, I don't know if she broke both her wrists as a kid or... There was something to do with her wrists where like she had like mega flexion. So she could like, that's why you'd see her like all over the place um, with her wrists, like just how much power she could create at the time. She was a very, very long player on tour. Uh, those would be two. I, I would love to you know have an interview with Lydia because I think, uh, I think she'd offer a lot of insight for someone who play, has played golf for, for like under the spotlight and professionally since being basically a teenager. Good point. Or even Michelle, we, Michelle, we too. I know I've had the chance to talk to her and, uh, in a, in a pre, like a, a previous role, uh, just like talked to her at an event and, uh, she was great. Like, I think she's, she's very candid about a lot of things and, uh, she'd also be a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah. I, th- I feel like Michelle would be able to like shoot the breeze very easily. She, I, I, as someone who was like, so she, we, I was at the, uh, the Callaway Epic flash launch event, I guess. Be like, oh God. I don't know. Four four or five years ago now. It's a while ago. And uh, I think maybe three out ever. I don't need to worry about the timeline, but I was there and, and she was there. And there was a couple other um, golfers who were like uh, Callaway staffers who were there. I think Sergio was there at the time. Sergio was a Callaway staffer for a little while there. Um, and she was by far the most engaging. Like mm-hmm. just, she was there to hang out. Like she was like, you know, she was there to have fun. And, you know, some players came in, they did their couple hours and they just buggered off. Like, you know, they yeah. stuck to the contract and just left. And, and obviously there was a lot of people there from let's call it the, the golf influencer space. And she was there the whole time, just hung out, had fun, you know, talked to people. And I think, uh, yeah, just, uh, just a, seems like a, a great, cool person in golf. So, uh, you know, another one that you know, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with. Yeah. Good point. Um, so I got one for you, Mike. And this is a, this is a fitting question, so we're gonna we're gonna dive back into the you know the technical stuff here. And I've had this question before a lot, and it's one that I struggle with answering, just because I think of a couple different methods in my head. So trying to narrow it down to one, but is there one thing that you can really do to help control strike paint strike point for a player in a fitting, or is there a number of things that come together depending on where they're missing? Yeah, yeah mul- multiple things. I mean. You know, I actually had a guy in today and we, we were talking about this. Um, he was someone that just got notoriously very, uh, very healy. It uh, wasn't necessarily a shank, but it was just, we just kind of low heel. And, and he was like, you know, what, what can I do? And 
Um, one, one thing is give yourself a bit of space. You know, that, that hitting bay is large, you know, always find people aim down one side and they, and they forget that, you know, they need to pretend that they're hitting out of a garage door basically, uh, into the range, uh, on, on quad. Um, so, you know, working on strike in a fit first comes down to alignment, giving yourself a bit more space to swing. And ultimately I really do believe that that cleans up a lot of, a lot of strike issues. It can definitely be down to, um, path related issues. Um, it can also be due to, you know, a shaft being too long or too short, um, depending maybe an iron's too upright or too flat. Um, but the first thing I start with, I always start with making sure that our alignment and that we give the customer enough space to, to swing and not feel too crowded. That's a, that's a really good point. I think, you know, from a lot of the fitting places that I've visited in the past, I think it's going to make you sound like a complete homer here, but I, I, I do genuinely mean this is the fact that the bays at TXG are quite big. Uh, there mm-hmm. are times where you go to a lot of st- stores or like fitting places and it, they're just, they're a little bit more cramped. You know, we have a lot of right-handed and left-handed golfers in Canada. I think that might be one of the reasons why they're, they're, om- they're basically ambidextrous. The, the mat is right down the middle. Um, I know for a, there was a period of time where I really struggled hitting drivers in a bay and someone who came from a big box retail background and being in a, in a bay like that, they were a little bit smaller, but you never, I never felt uncomfortable. I just kind of got used to it. And I could understand why at the time when, when customers would come in, you'd be talking to someone and they'd be, it'd be the first time in a bay, every backswing, they're like looking at the wall, they're turning around, they're trying to like, you know, make sure they're not going to hit anything. It's like, look, unless you're seven feet tall, you're not going to hit anything here. So um, yeah, I think it's definitely a good point, but is the, is there other than the alignment, is there something from a, would it be lying goal would be something, or is it like shaft weight? Cause there is one, I got another question. Cause this leads into another question, which is kind of what I wanted to ask it in two parts is what does club length do to path when it comes to a driver in most cases that you've seen in a fitting, obviously it's going to be uh, individualized, but what would be the general uh, trend when it comes to that for a golfer. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have seen over a few years, um, you know, sometimes people are playing maybe something that is too long, but the head is not weighed properly or too short and the head is not weighed properly. So they get to the top of the swing and they, they, you can see, they can't feel the club head. Um, so the path becomes inconsistent that can obviously influence strike um, one reason autoflex works for some people, if you can control your strike, um, on the club face consistently enough, autoflex is going to work great for you. If you're someone that makes the driver face look like Swiss cheese, uh, autoflex isn't going to work for you, but definitely length is, is a big factor. A lot of times people go, you know, go a little bit shorter in the driver and you'll become, you'll hit it straighter. You might not lose a ton of yardage, but you'll definitely find a few more fairways strike becomes a bit more consistent. Um, but yeah, definitely length to uh, length to a driver length to any club can really, can really alter, alter strike, but it's, I would say it's, it's, you know, swing induced, um, and, and definitely, you know, length of a golf club can, can interfere with strike for sure. Cool. Thank you for that, Mike. Uh, so, so looking at our questions that come in, do you have one that you'd like to uh, kick off to me at this moment, or should I ask another one for you? No, I got another one. Um, Someone was just saying they like the, no questions, but they do like the mailbox pods, which is good to hear. Um, one iron inset pulling all of a sudden have angles checked. I like this one. So we do, I'm going to answer this before. Well, you go ahead and answer that. Do you go to get your lofts checked right away if you're pulling one iron? Uh, it depends because in some cases it could be that, uh, it's one club that I may practice with a lot. And that's where, if you're hitting it off a mat, there could be an issue. Uh, in some cases, you know, I would probably go to the range (laughs) and just, Mm -hmm. just check the other clubs on either side of it to say like, is it one thing or the other? I know, you know, sometimes there is that mental block when it comes to a particular club, like you're going to hit a a shot with it. And, uh, you know, some players are going to struggle. I think that's one thing to always factor in. But there, I mean, to, to take the time, if you, if there's one club you're really struggling with, I always think it's good to go to just get all the lies and lofts checked. I think from a lot of, like for a lot of players, I th- and we've seen, I've seen this in the past when it comes to like, from a building perspective, from a fitting perspective. And, and I think 
you would probably say that you've said this in the past, Mike, and correct me if I'm wrong. If you haven't, then you know, just tell me straight up. When someone comes in for a fitting, and I would talk to them and I would say I'd be specking their golf clubs and I'd be talking about line loft and going through and, and talking about frequency and talking about all of the specs of their clubs that they currently use. One of the questions I would always ask is, do you have a favorite club? And, you know, a lot of time, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a seven iron. In some cases, I've seen some people say it's it's the nine iron, it's the five iron, it's my hybrid, whatever it happens to be. And I'll say, is there a reason why? And either it's because of a certain hole or a certain shot. And there's something about that golf club they really like. And the goal of a fitting and then the end result of the building and the club building, which is what we control at TXG, is that the goal is to make every golf club feel like your favorite club. I know that sounds stupid. It sounds silly. It sounds extremely cliche, but when you look at all the factors that go into building a set of golf clubs and you're piecing all these things together to create a cohesive set of, of 13 clubs that you're going to make a full swing with, that is the goal of, of melding everything together to make them work. So if one thing really stands out, it's always worth to get it checked and it could be another spec other than just lie loft. But as far as lie loft is concerned, it doesn't take a lot of time to do it. I know I, that sounds extremely privileged because I've, I have a Lyloft machine at my house, but if you are close to a shop, a lot of golf courses carry them as well. So it doesn't necessarily, even if it's like maybe not perfectly calibrated, at least you get an idea and you can compare it to other clubs in your set. That way you're using the same machine. And that way, at least you might know what's going on. Cause if it's in the bending machine or it's in the Lyloft machine, you know, you bend it a little bit flat. In this case, we're talking about pulling a, a club. Then it's something that's easy to look at. You can take it to the golf course, try it again, and you know it costs five bucks to bend the golf club in in most shops. I think I think that's kind of the going rate across the industry. It's been like that since I started, basically. So uh, that's what I would do. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good point. I mean, knowing you know having a favorite club, you know Tiger's favorite club is his eight iron. Um, you know, and and knowing how that performs. What I say, if you're pulling one club, get them checked. Like you said, if you have access to it, yeah, hundred percent. Um, but I would definitely go to the range first and just, and just make sure that it's, it's the club and not you. That's <laughs> always a good point. Um, this is a fun one. Uh, I think it's kind of a, a quick one. It's a very like a you know, fun standardized question for this kind of thing. If you had to build a full bag of pin clubs from top to bottom, what would your set consist of Mike? Hmm. I'm going to go start with the driver. I'm going to go G425, nine degree LST. Um, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go, what am I going to go for a fairy wood? I'm going to go max 14, five, and I'm going to put a little five wood in there as well. Um, I'm going to put a <laughs> man, I'm going to put a geez. Oh, I'm going to put a G410. 22 degree four hybrid in the bag to replace the four iron, but I'm going to play it flat minus one. You're giving me all the technical details. I was just going to reel off the models. (laughs) Then I'm going uh, irons. I'm going to go I-59s. I'm going to go I-210s, power spec. I'm going to go glide 4.0, 50, and I'm going to go with a ping answer four, but not the new ping answer four. I'm going to just go the ping answer four from like 1982. The OG stainless? The OG stainless, yeah. Nice. I've got a couple of those. I like them. I've That's like a blind spot for me is the stainless ones. Uh, I, have a, I have a bronze or a manganese answer, like OG, not the really expensive one, just like a kind of a standard one. I've got the the my day as well, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite putters of all time. For those familiar, it's it's the shape that you'd see from you know Brad Faxon used called the Fax Day. Um, you can obviously find out where they got the inspiration for that name from with Scotty Cameron. Um, but uh, I would say the the, P, the PLD answer too would be great. Some I, some Glide four some I two tens. And then just uh, give me some 425 gear through the rest of the bag with the driver and fairway woods because uh, that's a that's a nice setup which I really think is uh, pretty cool and I really like those glide 4.0 wedges. I, I hate again it sounds cliche when you're in the golf business and you're you are you know you're in the you're literally in the business of selling equipment and fitting equipment. 
but uh, I would be I would be lying if I was to say that the the new Ping Glide 4.0 wedges are not the best wedges that they've ever produced. I think from a hosel transition perspective, from a shape perspective, they're better than any of the forged ones they've ever done. I think the shape is, at least to my eye, it's very nice, extremely appealing. Um, I never played the 3.0s, but I played a 2.0 ES grind in a 58, which I really liked. And uh, yeah, but the new ones I think are are fantastic looking, and I think they've got a real hit on their hands. You know, I think with every all the technology they put into their wedges from a performance perspective, I think they're they're very very hard to beat. Um, let's I got okay. It's one we touched on a lot. We want to get to it again. You know, it's all these new listeners out there. Uh, Mike, why do we play our Liangles slightly flatter in our hat, our partial swing wedges than our irons. Okay. There's, oh man, this is a, this is a rabbit hole. Um, I play my 60 degree. Um, what do I say? I play it four degrees flat, um, compared to my 56 and 50, um, for, for a couple reasons. I like the heel to sit off the ground for me. It helps me run the ball up the face a bit more. Uh, I can open the face a little bit more and, and create a fraction more friction, which is obviously going to create more spin. Um, it, you know, I was, like I said, it's from a few years ago, I was chatting to one of the best wedge uh, teachers out there, short game guys, Gareth Rafluski, And he was like, Oh, I just told him I was kind of, I'm decent with a wedge and I was kind of not chunking them, but not hitting them pure enough, like very skinny shots around the greens with a 60. And it was kind of hurting me. And he's like, well, first of all, put your 60 away. But he goes, if you really want help, like flatten out your wedge. So I flattened out my 64 degrees. And ever since then, it's, it's the best club in my bag. Now talking about the, the line angle relative to length. So obviously if you make a golf club shorter, it effectively plays flatter. Do you play your 60 in line lengthwise to the rest of your clubs? Cause I was messing around with mine tonight. I was sitting there twiddling around in the shop and I realized that my 60 degree or 58 degree bent to 60, whatever it is, my, my lob wedge essentially was bent that I played it at 34 and a half. So I actually played it half inch under compared to like a standard where everything else in my bag was standard. Cause I only hit partial shots. Have you ever done that before? Cause I'm looking at mine going, I probably should cut mine down. <laughs> Uh, but have you ever done that before just to like increase the, the, the way it plays like the effective line angle, or do you leave it at 30, 35 or whatever standard is for you? Um, I will leave it at 35 mostly. I just, I've tried it. I just, I like just to keep it standard. I don't like to change too much. Cool. And you know what? It's always easier to grip down than it is to try and add length to a golf club. So that's a little tip for you people out there. Um, I will I will tell you for gripping down on a wedge, I was hitting some wedge shots the other day at the golf course and we've got like a, it's like a 110 yard little hole. Um, and you can just hit wedge shots too. And you, they've they kind of spray painted on the turf at certain areas, like 50, 60, 90, whatever, 110. And, uh, I was hitting some 50 yard shots with a, a 56 for the longest time. I would have pulled a 60 from there. And lately I've just been, you know, from people talking to me and, you know, talking to some other people about some short game stuff, they're like, man, just pull out your 56, open the face a little bit and hit that little kind of tighter shot. And, uh, I was, and it was, it worked out really well, but I was choking down on the wedge and something, this is going to sound crazy. I've never choked down on a golf club, never on an iron, never on a driver, just, I've just, you know, grip it and rip it, just try not to choke down at all. And then what kind of got into my mind was like, I'm very tempted to put on those ping wedge grips onto my current wedges, um, build them up a little bit. I like a larger grip on my wedge and have those chevrons where it's like full half quarter grip. It like, I know this sounds stupid, but it's just genius. They have that grip because it just makes everything so much more consistent. Um, so very, very tempted, hopefully trying to source a few grips, uh, from my wedges. They are a really great design. I remember when they first yeah. came out with those and then there was a wedge. I don't, I know ping had it and there was another company that did it as well. I think we think it was probably ping as well, but they did, there was, I don't know if it's a golf prior or Lampkin product, but at one point they did a wedge grip that had like circles on it. And it was a 12 inch. I think most grips are like 10 to 10 and a half inches long. This grip was 12 inches long from top to bottom. And basically from the bottom of the grip, every inch up 
there was like a dot, like a little circle dot on like the, mm-hmm. the velvet style grip. And I always thought that was very interesting. And for those who are, are use like some type of wedge matrix in their head, as far as, you know, to nine o'clock, three o'clock, whatever that happens to be, just confuses the hell out of me. I just like to, you know, figure it out. Um, personally, maybe that's why my, I'm not, you know, I'm not as skilled as I should be, but, um, you know, those are, it is a really good thing for those who are looking for some type of consistency in their short game. Then you put yourself in the same position every single time. It's kind of like those old swing rights, get your fingers on there. You get those little alignments up and you're, you're all set. Um, Mike, I got a question for you. I want to get well, one quickly, yeah, yeah, quickly go ahead. before you get that question. Speaking of wedge matrix, um, I got some stickers made some shaft band stickers, um, a few months ago ian was like hey like i want to do this i'm thinking of getting these stickers made you can write it with sharpie and it won't rub off put it on the back of people's wedges and fittings and stuff like that they just arrived so i'm going to definitely uh tinker with that and see how they look coming so, soon so it's a sticker that you just put on the back and you write down so the like- sticker the sticker is like a it's like a rectangle looks almost like a like an old project x shaft band sticker okay and it's got um three little hexagons that actually have the TXG logo in it. And it says 150 and 25. And then right next to them, you have space and in Sharpie, you could write like a hundred yards, um, 80 yards, 40 yards kind of thing. So for people that are working on a matrix, uh, a wedge matrix, I know uh, Rifluski and Ian were talking about it on one of the YouTube videos. Um, so something that, you know, if customers are working on that kind of thing, they can kind of keep track on their wedges, what goes full half and quarter shots. I love it. I think that's a, that's actually very clever. It's like, um, he, although he's made news, uh, recently for a number of other things, oh, you don't need to touch on it, but, uh, Lee Westwood has his literally has his carry distances written in Sharpie marker on the back of his irons, uh, for his, great. his caddy wife, yeah, wife married, uh, now, um, Helen. They write, they just like, I mean, Hey, if you're going to simplify it, simplify it. Right. You know, what distance are you at? They know again for pros think golfers are maybe a little less aesthetically they're concerned about, but uh, you know, if you're really, really concerned, just write the distance on the back of your golf when it's one way to do it. Um, But I like the shaft band idea because then it's completely hidden. That's a, that's very clever. Um, So for 2022, as we kind of actually get into the season at this point, what are your personal goals for the golf season? I knew this question was coming. Um, <laughs> we both saw, we both saw the sheet, Mike. I'll answer it too. Don't worry. What are my goals? Um, working on a couple things with uh, with Scott Couch, just trying to get steeper and just there we call them front loaders, just getting everything to the left side. So trying to make that more uh, consistent, more a natural swing. Um, I would like to hit more greens this year. Uh, I, I hit very little greens, which, uh, I, you know, I find every fairway, but I hit, you know, three greens around, which really is frustrating. Um, thank God I can, I can chip a ball. I would like my handicap right now. I think it's like a 3.1 or 3.3. I'd like for that to get to one by the end of the season. That would be my goal. Um, I would like to break par at my home club. Um, I would like to finish further up in my club uh, club champions i'm I, club championship i made it to, i think three rounds in the match play and uh i'd love to i'd love to i'd love for the last name to be written on one of those wooden boards at the golf club i don't think it's gonna happen this year but be like we've got a lot of like smith and wright and davidson and thompson and old tom morris and then you would just have two wooden plaques that would have my 1800 letter name marty savage painted in there it would be the only eastern european name on that board that would be a, that would be a nice touch for the for the year. I don't know if that's going to happen this year, but um, cut the handicap down. Just play within myself. You know, put some put some good scores up, whether it's com- you know club competitive or just you know personal rounds. Um, just try to get that handicap a little lower. Always a good one. Definitely always mm-hmm. a good one. I was going to ask you, Mike. Are they going to they're going to give you the Mike M on the board <laughs> to save a little space? I hope not. I hope they just they just get a nice fine paint in that little gold paint that they use. Type in Marty Savage. That'd be nice. It always makes me think of uh, we have a we have a ping rep. Is uh, is is uh, last name is Anthemopoulos. I believe I said that correctly. Um, I believe he's the only person in the company directory that goes 
first name, last initial versus first initial last name. Uh, yeah. I always think of that. I always always makes me chuckle when I when I every time I see him, I always bug him. He's only got the one email. Uh, but my people, uh, you know, I've more of a, see a European uh, ancestry last name, and people always spell my last name incorrectly because the first a is silent. So Barath is yeah. like, Oh, okay. Well then, and then, Oh, there's like a second. Every time someone goes to write it out, if they're like taking an order or like they're doing something, I always see them go back and like have to take out the first R and then they, they have to put the a, and then they do the rest of it. Cause no one ever, ever, ever gets it right. Uh, but the, as far as goals are concerned for myself, just play a little bit more golf, which I think is going to be achievable this year, which I'm very excited for. Uh, another one too, much like yourself is actually track a handicap. I haven't had one in a long time. I've only been using the Arcos, um, not a plug, <laughs> but if, Hey, if you, if you are listening, go to the, our, uh, check out our link tree on our, uh, on our, uh, social media platforms on Twitter and Instagram, go to the, the link for Arcos and use TXG 22 for a 45 day free trial with free sensors. And then, uh, you get to drew the rest of that. So, uh, yeah, now that we got the, the little plug in there one way or the other, uh, I have been using it. I really like it. And uh, just to continue to track, I'm, I I do like using it for stats, but I also, because it is the only way I've tracked my handicap, just relative to the the database that they use would be to get, you know, back into that really low single digit around like a one or a two. I think, yeah. I, I, think I have it set for four right now and I'm kind of borderline either a little bit like one stroke higher or one stroke lower uh, for strokes gained, which basically puts me in around that, that four to five handicap i think depend i mean, my the courses i play are relatively short um so i think as, as far as the handicap index is concerned i believe i'm probably around a s- five or six <coughs> pardon me um but that's a big one for me and then uh you know just hitting it more solid i know a lot of people have seen a lot of the videos that we've done on the channel as far as iron fitting is concerned i've, I've been messing around obviously some, some new T 100 S's, which has been fantastic. And I was messing around with a set of uh two, two fives the other day. Cause you know, it's the Mizuno thing. Can't complain here. And I, I hit a six iron. I literally hit a six iron. Uh, I mean, it's part of the, partly I did, I will blame the, the way I struck it as well. And I have been working really hard and we know we've done a lot of compression videos recently. We just did one with Mac. There's the one one my handicap, my fitting video as well. We touched on it. So it's something that I know a lot of us are working on just kind of in general, not that we need to continue to elaborate on our golf games, but I compressed the hell out of a six iron. I thought, oh man, that's a great shot. It flew 15 yards over the green. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll take that because I executed it the way I want to. I just need to figure out how far these golf clubs are going to go. Uh, and that's uh, that's one thing that I'm definitely going to be able to work on uh, relatively uh, soon. Um, you got another one for me, Mike? We're gonna. I know we got a, we got a few more here. We're going to get to, uh, but you got one for me, and then we'll get to some maybe some non-golf ones that were thrown in. Yeah, this one was uh, someone asked, wanting to build clubs, what are the top things to think about when doing it? Um, interesting, interesting question. What's, uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts? Uh, it's, it's actually really simple. Um, first thing is to always have safety gear. Um, safety glasses is, is very important. Um, the last thing you want is any type of thing in your eyeballs. You know, they're, you only got two of them mm-hmm. and they're very hard to replace, you know, not that you don't, you can replace a finger, but you got 10 of those. So, uh, that's kind of one of those things that I I'm always very, very conscious of, but it's more so just, you know, it really does come down to the tiny details of things, you know, lie lofts are, if you're just not working with those things, if they're bent before, it's one thing to check mixing epoxy correctly is another one. Very important. You do, you probably need to use half as much epoxy as you think you need to use when you're actually gluing a golf club together. Uh, measure cut, measure, sorry, measure twice, cut once is a, is a key thing. Take your time lining up grips and just enjoy the process. You know, everything that comes down to the details, you know, uh, I feel like sometimes I oversimplify this because I've, I've been doing it for so long, but it really does come down to how much does a club head weigh? What tip weight are you using? Does the shaft weigh what it's supposed to weigh? Have you cut it to the right length, whether it be tipped? If it needs to be required, if you're talking about parallel shaft or, and then once it's glued, is it cut to the right length? You know, make sure that is correct on hundred percent, whether you use a pipe cutter for steel or using a proper saw, I don't need to get into the details of turning a ferrule down. You know, we're just talking basics here and then lining up a grip. Now those things, those little touch points of making sure that the head weight is correct and the grip is on straight. I think in most cases, you're going to build a pretty good golf club. 
is it, it will it be always physically like appealing for the uh, to the aesthetically appealing to the eye i don't know um you know there's a lot of like finishing detail that obviously is very important but if you're if you're lining everything up right uh you know you're going to have a golf club that you can go and play with and enjoy and there's there is a lot of pride that comes from putting a golf club together i can i can tell you that from building many 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 of them good yeah i mean very good point it's it's one of those where you know take your time it's uh you know it's not a race to get these clubs built you're not I mean, unless you're, you know, building for us and sometimes there's time constraints, but honestly, if you're building at home, just take your time, make sure you're writing things down, um, you know, measuring properly. And just, like I said, taking your time is the most important thing. Yeah. And that, you know what, that's a good point. Use, uh, use just the 24 hour epoxy. You know, if you're gluing a putter and you want to go take it out, you know, a little bit later that day, go ahead. But everything else, the 24 hour stuff, gives you that opportunity to take your time. I know starting out, I always wanted to build things quickly. And I can tell you, I pulled a lot of golf clubs apart that were built very badly because I had to rush because something went wrong during the process. And, uh, you know, for me now, I, to, to speak from very candidly, I built a set the other day, glued them up, cut to length, thought I had the head weights correct. I, I did everything that I had. Um, I was working on a set of heads that I'd never worked with before. Thought I had absolutely everything dialed in, including head weight, I weighed the shafts, everything was set to go. And then I cut and I was doing dry swing weight. And you know, there are, there are a number of ways to do this. Uh, I like to do it after the fact, it's my process. And so I was doing dry swing weight and all of a sudden I, I checked and went through everything. And the nine iron was about one and a half to almost two swing weight points lighter. And I thought mm-hmm. to myself, okay, I've done something. Maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe it's the weight that I use. I was using different weights because I didn't have all brass or all lead or all tungsten or whatever it happens to be. I was kind of a mixed hodgepodge. So there's a little bit of shifting center of gravity there because some are longer, some are smaller, some are very compact and very heavy. Maybe it was just the nine iron, the center of the gravity and the iron nine iron is a little different. Um, so with all of those things together, I thought to myself, okay, I, do I want to pull it apart? Of course I don't want to pull it apart. You know, people see it on Instagram. I post a set of golf clubs like, oh, it was perfect. Well, you know, sometimes they don't always end up perfect the first time. So I pulled it apart this evening, triple checked head weight, added a couple extra grams after dry building again and put it back together. And, you know, I have a golf club now that will, will match the rest of the set as far as frequency, length, fly loft, and all those other things. So, um, you know, we still make mistakes too. And it just, it's just a matter of knowing how to correct them uh, rather than having it get out into the world and be used. And that's the biggest thing for me. So that's, that's what I got for tips. Good point. So, um, Here's a fun one for you, Mike. A little F1 question. I know it's not your team, but uh, is is Mercedes just going to ditch this year and, and and go for 2023, or what, what do you think their chances are for the rest of the season? I don't know. We have uh, when is uh, when season break again? I'm trying to think. I can't. I can't remember. But it is. Um, you know, Miami will be interesting. Um, new track. I think. Um, you know, with. Miami will be an interesting one. I wouldn't say their season's done. Um, you know, they're just going to have to have a strong rest of the season. Um, I, I'm interested to, would love to know more of what's going on with, uh, with Lewis. I'll watch, uh, I'll kind of watch some, some pre-practice stuff and, and try to get some information on that. Um, yeah, I, I really don't think their season's done. I think, um, you know, George could have a, a sneaky few races. He's, he's trending for sure, but there's, there's some stuff up with the cars, but you know, I think for, for as good as a driver Lewis is, um, he'll win, you know, I bet you he wins four times this year. Yeah. I think, uh, overall I would never, never count them out as far as the, the tech, I know there's a the budget cap and all these different things, but as far as when you think of the people behind them, I, I know, a lot people people always ask like what do you watch do you watch youtube videos what do you watch and like i dive into the technical elements and the engineering side of all the f1 stuff because i just find it very fascinating it's similar to golf clubs i i'm not saying that i understand everything about what what goes into a golf club by no means am i an engineer of any sorts but as far as you know learning and trying to understand like looking at speed charts and acceleration and where porpoising kicks in and all these different things. I I've been completely enthralled with learning about this because it's a new thing for everybody this year because of the, the car change. And I think that, you know, if, if the people and, and they'll admit it, the people that I watch, I think they do a really good job of, of breaking these things down. 
but they say to themselves, you know, like we're not the engineers at Mercedes. They have much smarter people even than we are. And we're trained, you know, race car technicians and, and like those kind of things. So I always find that kind of funny that there's all these kind of theories that float around. And I think that he's one of the best drivers to ever get behind the wheel of a race car. So to, to say that he's not going to perform, I think they've, they've, they're, they've got a driven team that's built a, a reputation for success. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how the rest of the season goes. I definitely don't think they're going to scrap the rest of the year. Um, but I will say there's something about those Ferrari cars, man, they are fast. And it's, it, it's been fun to watch. I think it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, I just really hope that, uh, the Carlos can get through a race. He didn't get through the last one. And I, I'd love to see him see how he does it in, uh, in Miami this week. Uh, another the one, Italian too. stallions are looking good. <laughs> they're looking real sharp. I can imagine. I think they're, all the boys are having a lot of fun in Miami this week. I know, um, Lando was out Jeez, with, they were uh, playing the Grove the other day. Saw that Lando was with Claude Harmon. I think he did like a little face on slow motion swing. Looked really good. Um, guys got a good golf swing. You know, I mean, a lot of the race car drivers, they're, they're small guys. A lot of them are, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're very, they're very small for weight and all that other stuff just to fit into a race car in general. Uh, but uh, no, they, they got a lot of muscle. Let's put it that way. They got a lot of speed. It takes a lot of strength to withhold the G withstand the G forces that one of those cars puts on you all the time, which I always think is um, very impressive because not that I've ever been in an F1 car, but I have had the chance to go around a, a racetrack in a supercar. Shout out Cobra. Thank you very much for that experience. That was a lot of fun during one of your launch events. Um, and to feel the G force is one of those things with a professional doing it by yourself. And then being with a professional driver, you're just like, Holy crap. I could not imagine doing this for 60 laps and doing it for like practice and doing it during the week and doing it in a car that does even more so. So, uh, that to me is one of those things where it's like, you know, I, it was an element of like, um, like level of fitness that I, I, I always knew what like kind of existed in the sport, but the appreciation for it was so much more. Once I was like, I could not imagine doing this for an hour and a half. It would just, it would be insane. Um, so let's yeah. see. It we was a couple cool more. To, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. No, no, fire away. Okay. Um, this, I think this applies to a lot of people. I know you did a recent, uh, I wouldn't say recent, but a little a video we did a little while ago. Um, what would be the best, strongest, like stronger lofted players or player shape iron on the market? I know we got some new ones that just came out. We're going to be doing some testing of that. Uh, hopefully, you'll see it next week or the week after. But uh, what, what in your mind fits that, Bill? Hmm, strong lofted. I mean, are we talking game? Sorry, you said game improvement iron? Uh, like a player's, like a play. Uh, Think of like a player's distance iron or kind of something like that. Okay. Um, I mean, I would say, you know, technically T100S is a strong lofted iron. I wouldn't necessarily say that's a player's distance iron. Eh, maybe. Um, I'm going to go Strixon ZX5. Would you say the T200 fits into that category though? Totally. Yeah. To yeah. go into the, just to move, just to think of, I know obviously the T100 gets a lot of, conversation about it because of the use on the pj tour and things like that but if we're yeah. talking the title list you'd probably be the t200 instead of the 100 yeah 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 no i would agree with that but you you said the the, the zx5 is probably your go-to yeah i would definitely go zx5 yeah i think uh you know we've, we've talked about it a lot you know i think it's always funny when we look at the comments on some of the youtube pages or sorry some of the youtube videos that we've done it's like oh you're you're just a tailor-made thing and then next week it's like oh wow we, we fit a lot of cobra drivers it's like oh you, you focus on this a lot or man the t100s gets a lot of credit and then you know a couple weeks later it's like a lot of mizuno irons or a lot of oki wedges and then it's the ping wedges and you know it's not it's not first of all the videos when they show up online are also not showing up in the order that we film them so it's always kind of important to remember that i think it's kind of fun uh, a lot of times it's easy to tell depending on the shirt that ian, ian is wearing uh, or mm -hmm. myself or Mike, if it's matching or not, you know, you can kind of tell it was shot within the same week. Cause we do bat shoot exclusive behind the scenes of, of how things happen at TXG and, uh, you know, a YouTube page, but, uh, I think they do a really good job and the circs on, they, they do get a lot of conversation because I always said that there's like, there's some type of not, there's some type of magic sauce in that golf club that really happens to work you're a faster player and you need the, the spin reduction. It's fantastic. If you're someone who needs a little bit more spin, you can bend them weaker. 
The soul design works well. The offset still works quite well. Um, it's a good one. It's, it's a really, really good iron. <laughs> the only thing that really compares to it. And even then it's hard to, um, sorry, I'm a little dry here. Uh, the only thing that like, I think would be on the same level would be something like a P790, but it's not the same iron. It's longer heel toe. I think it's a little bit stronger even so than the, the ZX5. So, you know, P790 is, an, is a very, very popular iron over the last couple of years. But <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. Um, but that's one of the ones that, again, you know, there's a reason those irons get brought up a lot is because there's something about them that happens to fit that type of player. In the case of a stronger lofted iron that kind of fits more of a player's uh, profile, those would be two that uh, definitely stand out on the list. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, we got a couple more. Sorry for all the ums. I realize that I keep doing that while I'm talking. We've got, let's see. How would you go about increasing the swing weight in a build without getting different heads? Like, you know, this, I know this is kind of like a, a really, I want to say it's, it's a simple build question, but is it, Tip weights that you'd immediately gravitate towards before lead tape, Mike, is that your, that's your process or in some cases, other irons that come with hosel weight ports. Can you explain that as well? Some, uh, yeah, some, some of the heads that we're getting, um, you know, Taylor made a good example. They send us their actual, uh, factory weights so we can play around with that. Um, if I'm looking to build a set of clubs, ideally, yes, I'm going to go tip weights first before I go lead tape. I think, you know, you know, I've seen some crazy lead tape jobs. Um, you know, that's why lead tape chronicles has a profile. They can actually show the craziness of lead tape, but, um, I would, I would go tip weight first. And then if you're, you know, if you already have a set built and you want to play around with some stuff, you can try different things like grip and, you know, potential back weighting, depending on what you want to do with, with the swing weight. But yeah, I'm, I'm always going to go tip weight first. Cool. Yeah. And for those, uh, like the, I think the bullet weight is something where below the hosel, there's actually like a little thing where the weight goes in and sticks in, uh, you see it in a lot of, um, component clubs. I know a lot of OEMs use them as well, but, uh, tip weights before lead tape is always, is always my go-to, uh, got a question here. Uh, definitely, uh, I would, well, it's definitely specific to myself, Mike, uh, not to you. So I will ask it and then answer it here. Um, how do I make time for golf? Uh, as a dad with young kids, Mike, I'm, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think that really applies. She doesn't. <laughs> I'm, well, no, it doesn't. I just need to balance my um, work golf schedule. That's all I got to balance. All right. Um, for me, I get, I've actually had this question from a couple of my friends uh, recently. And I would say the last couple last year was definitely one that I didn't get as much golf in as I, I would have hoped. I think a lot of most golfers say that anyways, but one of my tricks that I like to do is when young kids do go to bed, they go to bed relatively early, especially when I was, you know, had like just, just one, she was a baby was the, the rounds of golf after say seven o'clock sneak up for nine of course is generally not that busy six thirty nine o'clock. You can get in here in, in Northern or not Northern Ontario in Ontario. We've got, We've got sun till roughly nine thirty. You can play till nine thirty in in June, pretty easily. So that uh, <laughs> again, apologies for the the dry throat this evening. Uh, that's my go to is weeknights out after dinner after the kids about to go to sleep. Go out and, and if there's a local course that's close by, that's always my go to to get those uh, get those in or just go to the practice range or go to the driving range just to you know get it in and feel it's to me, it's like a work. I don't do, I don't really go to the gym. So I kind of think of it as like time to go to the gym when you have, have a free moment uh, or on weekends. I know a lot of people I've recently posted on social media, how golf courses are very busy and a lot of uh, idiots are out there. Um, you know, weekends are at a golf course, public golf courses with carts and all kinds of stuff. We don't get into the details of it. I'm a big fan of shrinking the game uh, a little bit. Uh, but uh, because of that, I play very, very early. A lot of times I only play nine holes too. So the course that I used to belong to, or the course that's as closest to me is a nine hole golf course. I will get out there in one of the first tee times. I will be done either as a single or with one of my other friends who has, has kids and we will play in sub usually 90 minutes. If we're playing quick and it's not overly busy, we can get in, they say two and a half hours, two forty-five, and then be home by 11 o'clock. 
that's uh that's generally the way it happens you get the rest of the day to do it um but it's it's about working around schedules that work for everybody and everyone's going to be different uh but that's always the way I, I i like to think about it and yeah that's how i do it or you know last year bring the kid out i like to my my oldest daughter when she was uh i guess three and a half uh lots of snacks a Bluetooth speaker with the frozen, uh, the frozen soundtrack on it or some other Disney soundtrack that she happened to like. And, uh, yeah, she likes to, you know, run around in the bunkers, just make sure you rake them, uh, drive around a cart and not a big cart. Okay. But, uh, you know, if you had, a, you got a little three and a half year old, they're not going to walk the the full, you know, 4,000 yards that you're going to be walking when you're on a golf course. That's my tip. Have fun, play quick, play early, play late, and just find the open times when it's not two o'clock on a Saturday on a busy public golf course. Cause you might as well just, uh, in my case, just, just shoot yourself in the head. <laughs> Not that I recommend that to anybody. I'm kidding, but uh, that's uh, that's how I think about what a weekend at a, at a public golf course looks like at this point in time. So uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I'm all, all for public golf, Mike, but uh, you won't find me out there. <laughs> um, let's see. Got a couple more here that I, I think would be kind of fun. Um, let's see what we got. Oh, this is a fun one. I know, you know, public versus private. This is going to be a little different. What is your etiquette? If someone's letting you play through Mike, do you just get to the green and kind of move on or do you, do you put out? How do, how would you go about getting by those, even those, those T jitters when someone says, Oh, you guys play ahead. Uh, is that one of those as, as the golf memes like to see on Instagram or Instagram? Is that the most nervous feeling of golf for you? I mean, when um, <clears throat> it's a good one. So my, uh, my club, you're, if you're playing, if you're, if you're kissing four hours or a little over four hours, you're doing something wrong. Um, we have ladies, seniors, juniors, men's, they will play extremely fast. Uh, we're not running around the golf course by any means, but if you're playing through a group, you have to remember that group who's letting you play through, they are still, they're still on, on a time, right? So however long it's going to take you to play that hole, whether you're a fast group or a slow group, when you're standing on that first tee, you can still, you know, shoot the breeze with the boys. You can still, you know, take a couple practice swings. There's no reason to be rushing off the tee. It's something that I've had to, we don't have it to happen a lot at the club, but when you do play through someone, you always think, you know, you hit a bad shot. You're like, Oh, I hate, you know, playing like that. But remember if you're playing with a group of people that maybe you've never played with, or you and a buddy are playing with two randoms, technically they're watching you hit a shot as well. So there's no difference. So take your time, play the hole at the speed you want to play the hole. Be respectful if you're playing through, you know, you still want to play fast, but you know, they have to wait on the tee, you know, to let you clear anyway. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. They can't hit over you. Um, we do have a hole at the golf course. Uh, it's a seven is the 17th hole par three. The 18th tee box is right next to the green. It's like 10 yards left of the green. And, uh, the etiquette is once you get to the green, if there's a group behind you, you wave them up, let them hit on while they're walking up to the green, you can go finish out, putt out, whatever, and then, and then tee off. So letting people kind of hit up and then move on is, is never a bad thing. But if you're playing through, just take your time, relax. And to be honest with you, no one's watching you swing because nobody cares. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, uh, in most cases, I think most people don't actually really give a crap. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think that's a funny one because, I would say that uh, anytime that I've ever played through and playing with my dad, I can almost guarantee that my dad has never, <laughs> literally never hit a good shot off the tee while being let through in his entire life. He's always like, oh, I got, we got to go, we got to go. And I'm like, what well, doesn't matter? We're going to be waiting anyways. That's just, it's his mentality. It's very hard to get it out of his head. Uh, but I always find that uh, that's a good one. It's very funny because, and I actually, I do, I love that idea because there was a, the local course they always play at, it's on a very condensed piece of property. And there's the only two par fives on the course are back to back. They're crammed into the corner for distance. So one basically runs down the entire back of the property. The other one runs down the other one side of the property, uh, both around 500 yards. And the, the T deck for the one par five is literally four steps off of the green on the first par five. And it is a, there's no cage. There's nothing. It's just danger zone all the time. And I, I like that idea of either waving someone up as you're going, because, you know, a lot of times if you're staying, cause it is, again, they're, they're 500 yard par fives. They're not overly long by any means. The, 
there's oftentimes that I will just wait for the group, which again, you're standing in the middle of the fairway. So you feel like you're wasting time because someone there, the green is technically clear and there might be someone on the tee, but I always feel very, very nervous trying to hit up into that, that green, because it's again, 200, 225 yard, 230 yard shot into a hole. Like your, your dispersion range is going to be pretty big. And the last mm-hmm. thing I want to do is kill somebody, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's really low on my list of things that I want to achieve on a golf course. It's probably one of the lowest things is like, you know, probably killing an animal and then killing a person, you know, they're, they're probably one and two on the lowest part of the list or breaking a bone. Maybe that's definitely higher than the, the murdering people. So um, it is, it's a scary thing. So a lot of times if I am waiting there, you know, I either intentionally lay up, which I don't want to do just for pace of play, which I, again, I hate doing that, but you know, just in my mind sometimes, or I'll, you know, I'm definitely going to cut this away from the T deck and it just ends up short, right. And then it's a safe spot to miss, but you no, know, you never want to murder someone on the golf course that never thought we'd talk about that this evening, but you know, we get, we, sometimes we get to, to get talk about little different things. Last one. I'm going to ask Mike, kind of one of those fun retro questions. And if you got another one for me, feel free to fire away. But when we're talking about older models, I know this, this sounds like a, it is a simple answer to this question, but I think I'd, I'd be curious to know if there's something kind of off menu that you would suggest, but if someone has some T200s right now, uh, I believe, yeah, T200s, is there an older model from, say, five to ten years ago that they could use as a backup set that might kind of fit the bill? What would you What would you go with? Would you just go with an older Titleist model, or is there something else that might fit that hollow body design? Um, yeah, I would try to keep it, you know, within the within the within the manufacturer, um, you know looks you know hopefully shaft offerings are kind of the same if you find an older set uh, if you're looking at stock um, you know you know that there is a consistency in head shape even though it's a little bit different like obviously now you know originally you had ap1 ap2 ap3 is that right was there an ap3 there was an ap3 in the second the second to last and the last generation of those irons right I think yeah, right. there was so, two there was two versions of the AP3 which is kind of like the tweener. Yeah, so again, you know, if you're playing you know T200s now and you want a backup set for the cottage, you want to set down south or or maybe a trunks a, a trunk slammer set and you leave your your good set at the golf course, you can, you know, I would always say go through the the old manufacturers and see what they've what they've got and and kind of match those up as as best as you can. Yeah, that's a that's a good option. I think Going back in the in the manufacturer's catalog is probably one of the best ways to do it. Um, I would say even like talking 2000, if we want to go back as far as a decade, you could go at some of the AP2 models. I think there was a period of time where the AP2 was a little bigger. You wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. get as much ball speed as you would with the T200, but it's a, it's a good one there. Um, but I, it's it's kind of funny because because of the the popularity of the T100, original generation and then the new one people ask like if i have a couple generation old ap2 what do you think and i'm like well they seem to work for patrick cantley you know he's he's out there making a lot of dosh so uh it just comes down to what fits your golf swing and just because they're a couple years old doesn't mean they're bad i've I've had this conversation a lot recently with some of my friends who are getting back into it or they're you know they're, they're contemplating getting new irons and i'm like if you're using iron, say like five to 10 years old and like your swing has changed or something along the line, but if we're talking about a player's cavity and you're a sub 10 handicap, there has to be a reason why you want something new other than just you want something new. And that's totally fine. People buy new cars, people buy new shirts, people buy new shoes, all kinds of different things because they want something new and that's fine. That's how consumerism works. We're thankful for that. But as far as the, what you're looking for, maybe it's a soul grind thing. Maybe it's a new shaft. Maybe because if you're going to get new shafts in an old set of irons, it's going to cost you half the price of a, of a new set. So a lot of people are just going to invest in the new set, uh, many cases. So it's one thing to consider. Now, if you are finding an old set and you're matching shafts to your spec, then you can save a lot of money that way too. But, uh, going back in the catalog is always, always a great option. And I think uh, as far as TXG is concerned, stay tuned. I know we've been in a lot of discussions. I'm not going to give away all of the details of the video, but you know we we've kind of given ourselves some some fun budgets through some online shopping. So I think you know, I think recently, not a big NFL guy, but I follow enough people on social media that just invades my my feed. There was the NFL draft recently. There might be 
a uh, draft for bags of golf clubs from some used club sites online to have some fun and go out on a golf course this year, which I think is going to be pretty cool because I know shout out, I know Rick, Rick Shields and Peter Finch have done it before with, I think golf bitter over in the UK is an example where they go in you got 500 bucks and they put together a, a set of golf clubs. So they they've done it. We're going to try and do something similar because you think it's a lot of fun. We know there's a lot of people out there buying used golf clubs who just want a little bit more education on them and also see that you can, you can have a lot of fun playing golf with used clubs. So that's one of those things, Mike, these are always fun. Like talking, Thank about, you, like, sir. like answering these questions. Yeah, it was good. It was, uh, you know, we both do Q and A's. You do yours on a Thursday night. I do mine on a Sunday and, um, it's always nice to answer some questions that you don't get to all the time.